Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon is with me. Hi, Tom. Hello, Jay. How are you? Good. Um, if if we had, if this was like a live recording of this show, Tom, right now there would be balloons dropping and <laughs> confetti cannons exploding and air horns blasting yes. um, because yeah, we're, we're episode 100, right? All that stuff is happening behind me. <laughs> uh, did I overdo it? Is that just your normal, that's like your normal 2 p.m. on a Friday afternoon sort of thing? That's right. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. yep. Good deal. But yeah, that's a big deal. 100 episodes. Yep. Yep. It just goes to show that anybody can do this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well said. Yeah. But yep. it also means we wanted to commemorate the occasion that we did it, uh, made it to 100. So we've been talking back and forth for what, are, you know, for a while now, what are we going to do for our 100th anniversary, our 100th episode anniversary? And uh, we came up with something that who knows? Well, maybe it's silly maybe it's good but it definitely uh denotes 100 in a way yeah yeah absolutely yeah you want to explain that uh, <laughs> i know you want me to so <laughs> i got to thinking you know what is the significance of 100 and um i couldn't help but thinking of our younger counterparts online who either through the 100 emoji or just writing 100 they seem to use that as a response indicating i totally agree hundred mm -hmm. percent. Right. And so, well, I worked backwards from there and said, all right, let's use that convention and you and I will come up with some, you could call them straw man arguments or notions or things that are just debatable in terms of marketing, thought leadership, mm -hmm. content marketing in general, as a way to maybe you and I have debates and who knows maybe i'll propose something that you'll say 100 on and we both agree or maybe it's worth unpacking in my case i've come up with three and i know you have i think they're all worth unpacking because they either they project conventional wisdom wisdom or they might challenge conventional wisdom and you know whenever wisdom is conventional i think it's worth at least taking a second look at it so that's what i have for my three and you have three as well correct I do. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got three. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how the conversation goes and whether, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I'm straw men. Like these are either statements of sort of conventional wisdom or, or maybe not conventional wisdom, something a little provocative. Um, and we'll be interesting to see, we have not, you know, discussed these beforehand just so everybody knows that, um, yeah. with each other. So this is, you know, you'll be hearing it in real time. Yep. These are all surprises. So can I, I'd like to start if you don't mind. Okay. That's my first one. I'm going to challenge you because even though we haven't prepared or we haven't discussed these in advance, you said something on a podcast, or it may have been one of our trainings in the Thought Leader Collaborative. I can't remember which, but was provocative. And it got me thinking. And I was like, hmm, that's not conventional wisdom, but is it correct? So I'm going to throw this back at you, your own words, and you can say 100 or not 100 and feel free to give it a scale one to 100 i guess mm -hmm. um but here it is it's time to unlock the gate that stands between our audiences and our gated content and what i mean by that is it's a fairly conventional marketing methodology now is to create what's known as a lead magnet 
put it on a website, drive attention, drive, you know, um, affinity to that piece such that the person on the page wants it so badly, they'll give you their email address and contact information in exchange for this piece of content, thereby giving you a lead, right? It goes into your marketing, uh, perhaps an automation or just into your market intelligence, but it gives you a name and an email address that you can then remarket to. So, but you suggested, and I just want to double back to you on this, is is it still your 100 belief that we want to, maybe we should think about removing the friction that stands between our content and who we want to receive our content. So what do you give it, Jay? Is that 100? Uh, it's like 70. Oh, okay. <laughs> so you backed up. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's like most things, there's some nuance involved, right? Um, right. So, I mean, I do, I, I, as a broad principle, I do think that, you know, getting, reducing the friction between your ideas and the audience you're trying to reach is a good idea. And, you know, I mean, that's, if, if you're, if what you're trying to do is not, you know, become Michael Lewis, a best-selling author, um, but rather creating content for purposes of, you know, developing oneself as a recognized expert, as an authority in a field, um, and then generating business as a result of that and the underlying work you do, well, then why would you make it harder for people to get your ideas in front of in, in front of themselves and, and other people? So I think I say, you know, forget the forget the email like um, gates and and walls and and whatever other friction you've put up between your ideas and your audience and just get it to people as easily as possible. Um, that's you know, that's how you become known for your ideas and respected for your ideas and, and you know, become known as an authority in your field. Um, however, I, I, you know, the nuance here is there, there's also, you know, this component of scarcity that makes people, um, you know, believe that someone is influential and that, um, is worth listening to. You want more of something that's scarce. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to the extent that you are someone who's written a book, for example, I don't advocate for just like it in the case of most books, just giving them away for free. I think that they're, you know, it's a good idea to, um, to sell that, uh, because, you know, that creates a sense of scarcity and, um, and a, a exclusiveness around your ideas in that sort of, sort of format. So I, I guess that's the one caveat would be like something really substantial. I just don't think that most gated content fits that category yes. of really substantial, really significant. And, you know, I don't think that you're creating any, any benefit of, of what scarcity might provide in terms of, you know, exclusiveness it, it, around your ideas by just, making someone submit their email address to get it. I think for most people, that's just like a pain in the ass. When you, when you buy something though, you tend to value it more. So that's, that's True. my caveat. Yeah. Good caveat. That explains the uh, Delta between 170. Cause I think I would have been closer to 80. I see the value in the power behind capturing contact information as a way to remarket. Um, and I wasn't in the the way I proposed it. I wasn't considering the notion of like a, a book that you would purchase or a course even that you would purchase. There is a good reason, as you say, to put that behind some gate. And maybe the gate is just the monetary compensation that creates the value. But I was thinking more in terms of what, you, you know, the lead magnet approach, which I think baked into that approach sometimes is this notion that we're going to trick the user into giving us their email address. Mm -hmm. And so the content is created in a way that's just good enough. 
it doesn't really matter what it is. It's, let's give them a white paper right. and let's just get their email address so we can start bombarding them with emails. And so that's where I'm closer to a hundred. I, I think that approach is the idea that you need to trick somebody into buying from you. I just don't think that that's, you know, a, a value prop worth exploring. So, right. Anyways. Yeah, and you almost feel like you've, you know, someone's like breached the agreement, right? Where it's like, I'm all right, I don't want to get spammed here, but this you way you've described this piece of content seems like it's valuable. And then I actually get it. And it's like some, yeah, five page thing with, you know, it's an infographic essentially with some bullet points that you've seen in every listicle article on the internet. So, right, yeah. um, so that's, that's where, you know, okay. Yeah. okay. Well, and, we're both close. We're close yep. to 100 and we're close to each other. What do you got for me? All right. Um, so here's the statement, uh, which is content marketing will be more important, influential, and valuable one year from now than it is today. Um, I think I'm 100 on that mm-hmm. um, with a caveat. So maybe I'm 99. The caveat is what we discovered in the LinkedIn Edelman 2021 um, thought leadership impact study in that it seems like there's more and more content out there and less and less of it is good. So is content marketing overall going to be more important? I think, yes. I think this is how people are informing their business decisions. Again, all the more reason not to hide it behind some trick, uh, but to get content out into the world. Uh, I think the educated buyer is a more motivated buyer. And this is just how people are shopping from B2B services to anything. So uh, I think it's only going to continue to grow in importance. I don't see that leveling off or reversing. And you could maybe convince me otherwise, but I'm darn near close to 100 on that, Jay. Yeah, I, and I'm I'm I kind of share. I think you were you were hinting at and getting at some sort of the thing that would make me maybe you know pause take pause or or really question whether that w- will in fact be the case because you know we did see that data. Well, we, there's sort of you know, conflicting data where as of right now, you know, data from Gartner suggests that more and more people are using things like thought leadership to make buying decisions, which would suggest that it's more important than ever. But then in the in the LinkedIn study that just the deluge of information is such that, um, you know, people are starting to tune it out to a greater extent. And are we at that sort of moment in time, the jump the shark moment, at least where, you know, equate it to like the gold rush of the of the dot com, you know, late 90s, where every every tech company um, was getting these massive valuations and then the whole thing blew up and then the you know the the ones who ha- actually had businesses survived and then ended up thriving is that what's going to happen here the deluge is just going to continue and and at some point it'll shake out and like the quality will rise back to the top again i, I don't know so i guess it's just a matter of like is it possible in an environment if it just continues with the the amount of noise that it's it's even possible to stand out like in that environment until things settle down a little bit. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not, I I'm, but I'm, I think on balance, I'm, I believe it will continue to become more valuable and important um, for, for those who are in knowledge work of some sort or another um, to be putting their ideas out there. So, yeah. And I'm just, you know, in my mind, I'm considering, well, it, what's the alternative. So mm-hmm. if, if, if content marketing were to ever go away, how would people get there? Are we, do we go back to a world where we're just, you know, blasting out ads and, you know, making claims of service and expertise, yeah. or I think you're always going to need to show me, don't tell me. I think that's always been 
true. So yeah. content is a way to show. Now, what I do think, though, is I think people will um, get a little bit of content fatigue, either from creation or consumption. And the the rote content where it's like, let's put a blog post out into the world and see if anyone likes it. And then people skip right past it. That stuff's going to become less and less effective. So how do you become more effective knowing and penetrate through that noise? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's like going off platform where you and I are on a podcast right now. Uh, maybe it's going to be 12 second videos, but you know, take TikTok and make a business case for a TikTok type of thing on LinkedIn. I don't know what the answer is. I think content may evolve and you're going to have to get better at it, but I, I don't know what the alternative would be if content marketing were to ever quote unquote go away. Yeah. Right. And I, again, I don't think it'll go away. There might, it might be a moment in time though, where because of the deluge and the noise that maybe buyers are more receptive to, you know, a phone call, uh, just some, oh, yeah. something very old fashioned, you know, so in terms of if, if I'm, if I'm out in the world and I'm a, I'm a lawyer or a consultant and it's like, all right, how do I allocate my scarce, you know, marketing and business development resources? Maybe that, you know, maybe that's a good way to do it um, and, and at least experiment with that a little bit. Um, so in any event, who yeah. knows? We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So I, I think I was 99. Where were you on your on own the number? Statement? Yeah, I mean, yeah, 95 probably. Yeah, so mm -hmm. For Until further notice, it's going to continue to grow in importance. But yeah, mm -hmm. you, can, you can envision a scenario in which people are like enough, enough. Yeah. All right. My turn. Back to you. And again, this is something... I'm gonna, this is straw man because I'm going to put words into your mouth that you've never said, but uh, could things that you have said could be misinterpreted perhaps, or maybe not. Let's see. Here it is. Posting on LinkedIn eliminates the need for thought leaders to author long form articles and post on firm blogs. Yeah. Um, I would say I, I don't, agree with that um wholly uh in, in, in because and i don't know i'm, I'm i'll have to think about what number exactly i mean i think that i think that it, it i guess it can um but I, I well here's the here's the big thing that i'm i'm struggling with as i'm as i'm trying to get my answer out which is i i don't i don't necessarily think that um publishing on a firm's blog or website is the best way to go and I don't think it, you know, you, you can, you know, get, you can become a thought leader and really reach an audience and build an audience um, just by publishing on LinkedIn. That's possible. However, I think that the best approach uh, is probably, you know, using LinkedIn. Um, we've talked about this a lot where it's sort of like LinkedIn's the starting point for your content, um, but also finding um, some other opportunity to publish um, or, or create content, whether that be a, a respected third-party website that your audience you're trying to reach respects and reads like a trade journal or the Harvard Business Review or whatever it is, you know, you find the, you find the preeminent journal or, or magazine or website that your audience reads, and that's where you want your content to be. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the approach to be thinking about, which is, you know, LinkedIn is kind of where I, 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 I share, you know, I, I don't, I don't spend a tremendous amount of time, uh, investing in any one post I do. I'm getting sort of feedback from my audience. It's like a opportunity to, um, really engage in, in conversation and the exchange of ideas. And then I, you know, use all that data information to inform like how I'm going to invest like the 10 hours where I really want to make a big impact with something. Um, because I think it's those, you know, it's those, 
those hits, right? Um, that the, those significant pieces of content that will ultimately lead to a bigger audience and, and more impact. And so that's, that's how I think about it. But I don't think that the, I don't think default defaulting sort of the, you know, the approach most people have is just like, all right, if I do write an article, the easiest thing to do is just send it to the marketing department and tell them to post it. And it's like, yeah, but um, that's not going to have that much of an impact. Um, you you want to be able to put it in front of your audience. And that's, you know, nine times out of 10 somewhere else other than your firm's website. Yeah, good point. Yeah. And my, the way I look at this is it, obviously it depends on who you are and who your audience is. And so if, on the one hand, if you're, if you're a partner or just a member associate at a very large firm that has a sophisticated marketing engine already doing things like firm blog, firm newsletter, all of that stuff, that's going to check a lot of the boxes that you might otherwise be missing. You know, on the in the opposite side, let's say you're a sole practitioner or you're the rainmaker at a very small boutique firm and you don't have that. So if you're not posting on a blog or posting on your website, you may be missing opportunities to capture search traffic. If that's how people find you, you may be missing opportunities for people who do come to your site and they want to vet your in your ideas. And if you don't have a, a, a ton of content on your website, then they don't really know who you stand for. So it depends on who you are. So I, probably I think that my generic answer is I think you need to do both. But if you're at that person at a large firm and that's already those boxes are being checked by the marketing firm, probably what's not happening is you probably don't have any dedicated day-to-day -day resource building your personal brand and your personal book of business. So that's where you need to go out to your own network, probably on LinkedIn and share your ideas there while you let the marketing department check the boxes. If you're the sole prop or you're in a very small firm and you're the rainmaker, then you probably need to do some combination of both because I'd hate to, you know, you attract somebody with your ideas on LinkedIn, they come to your website and there's tumbleweeds and they just, they can't get a good feel for who you are, nor can they find you via search if they're actually looking for an attorney like you. So I'm totally hedging. So maybe my number is somewhere around in the 50 because it mm -hmm. depends on who you are. But I think the underlying premise that generated this entire straw man that I came up with was when you said, think about LinkedIn as your blog, because I think that's a great place to do everything you said, test ideas, get them directly in front of an audience, make it, you know, less of a pull, less of a, a trudge to get, you know, create content, get it through the marketing department, get it published, and then post a link onto LinkedIn that people may or may not see because of the algorithm. So that part, I think at its the fundamentals, I think is very sound advice is to start thinking of LinkedIn as your personal blog. Yeah. So, um, I just, I, okay, let me move on to the next one and pose it to you. And I think I, I just sort of thought about this on the fly. And I don't know if I have a good, um, I, don't, I don't know if I have a good opinion formed about what my answer would be. So I'll think about that maybe while you're answering um, <laughs> no fair, but, and okay. responding to this. But um, the on LinkedIn, attention is the most important indicator of success. So meaning like, if if you are if you're getting a lot of reaction to your posts, if you're creating content there, that that's probably the most important indicator um, that what you're doing is working. Um, put in those exact words, I would put that at about a sixty. And I don't know if I'm misinterpreting how you're framing it, but here's how I would respond. You know, at a gut level, is for one, you can't always mention attention by 
the clicks because we've talked about this before. I get so much reaction offline to my content that mm-hmm. I never knew was even happening. Oh, I loved your post. Why did you give it a quick like? So I knew, you know, <laughs> and that would help the algorithm or, you know, Hey, I've been, I'm your avid follower on LinkedIn. I love all the stuff that you do. And I've never heard from this person. So by that metric, the attention is zero, but it's clearly having a huge impact. And a lot of times those people that are responding to those things, it's not my mom and it's not my wife. These are like people that I want to have business person, uh, you know, personal and business relationships with. So the other thing is, is I don't measure it in quantity necessarily. So um, it's great to have 25,000 followers. I don't. It's great to have 600 engagements on your posts. I don't. Uh, it's great to have 100 plus comments on all of your posts. And again, I don't. But I do feel like I'm getting meaningful interaction with the right, a smaller segment of the right people that that is what I truly value. And some of it is like, because I know these people have gotten to know them so well on LinkedIn, it's, it almost feels like emotional engagement that I think I invest way more into because now I feel like I'm really deepening a relationship that is really only pixels and screens. So back to your question, if I'm measuring, um, what was the word, attention, Mm-hmm. Um, with hard data metrics, I don't think that's the most important way to to measure success or or progress on LinkedIn. Did I misinterpret the way that you posed it? And what do you have as your thoughts? No, I think you 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 interpreted it exactly as I intended it. Um, and and I I agree. I mean, I think that I, the reason I asked is because I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I get ask questions about this, like, you know, and we talked about, about this a little bit in, in our live training in the thought leader collaborative this week, which was you know, what I'm not getting the engagement that I really want on my posts as judged by, or it's judged against what other people are getting on their posts. Right. Yeah. And should I be doing more of what they're doing? And, you know, I get it. Um, it's, it's hard to be, it's hard, you know, you, you're putting yourself out there when you're sharing these posts. And, and, you know, we talk in terms of like, why Instagram is so harmful to like, you know, to kids, and it's because they're, you know, they're judging their own self worth by the number of clicks that people and likes that people, you know, have on on the post that they're doing. And, and the same thing, maybe on a lesser scale happens to us, you know, mm-hmm. well-adjusted adults, right? Um, <laughs> well, so, I don't know about well-adjusted. Yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was sort of saying that sarcastically. Um, but uh, but in any event, I mean, that that's out there. But the the thing is, and, I, and where, I, where I definitely agree with you, Tom, is that I think that um, in some cases, attention and what you would need to do to, to amp that up a little bit um, it can be at odds with building authority. And, and so this gets back to like, what are your goals on the platform? Like, are you, it's, it's perfectly fine to be optimizing for attention if that's your goal and like, or the underlying goal is, is related to that, you know, but if your goal is to use it as a platform to build like your underlying practice, like your job is not LinkedIn to be a LinkedIn star. It's to be, you know, an outstanding lawyer or consultant and, and you're using the tool that way. Well, then you're going to have a, you might have a very different approach because perhaps in that case, if your goal is to build authority over the long term, you are going to be writing more, you know, substantive content that, that showcases your subject matter expertise. And that's and and it's geared towards your particular audience that you're you're trying to attract, um, and and that's 
for many of the reasons we've stated, like where you're talking about, you, you sometimes hear after the fact or offline about people's reaction to your content. Um, that, that's, you know, that sort of audience is probably not going to be you know, through its actions indicating that they're paying attention, right? Even though they might be, they're not yeah. going to be liking and commenting on your post probably all that much. So in any event, I think that this just gets down to like, what are your goals? Um, what is the path that's going to get you to your goals? Um, there's nothing wrong with like, you know, wanting attention on LinkedIn, but you're probably to get attention the way we're describing it, at least in the short term, you're going to have to do content probably of a different variety than um, if your goal is to build authority. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people like seeing people's puppies and that kind of thing. I like <laughs> seeing that kind of thing. But, yeah. but you know, I mean, and, and then maybe again, maybe what this is, is like another, it's not all one way or the other. Maybe in that case, like you, a lot of your content is more substantive and then 20% of it's more personal in nature or something like that. Yeah. Yep. Well said. So are you about a 60 then too on your Probably. own? Probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. All right. I have one more for you mm -hmm. and I think you might have one more. Yep. Um, I'm going to ask you to put your crystal ball in, in front of you because I'm really intrigued by this whole clubhouse thing. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, it feels a lot like Periscope and Meerkat. And what I mean by that is it could be a great idea that gets, or even uh, Vine, right? Mm-hmm a great idea that maybe gets obsoleted by the big players just either acquiring or adopting the, the idea. So mm -hmm. here's my straw man um, or a prediction. Maybe LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook will all integrate audio into their platforms in a way that will obsolete clubhouse. Yeah, I'd, I'd say, um, I I'll say 80, but not because I don't believe Clubhouse is going to be obsolete. I, I think it will be, um, or at, at best from a Clubhouse's standpoint, like it'll be acquired and integrated into some platform, right? Um, I say 80 as opposed to 100 because I don't know I don't know that it will be one of the big three social media platforms that um, you know sort of dominate this social audio or audio social space. Um, I do think that there's room for some spunky um, upstart to come mm -hmm. in and and claim territory here. Still, um, I you know I, I see the value like you know of, of I could see the LinkedIn audio being something that works um, because it's natural. But people have a built-in audience, and it just seems like the right you know it seems like the right feature uh, for the platform. But you know for those. There, there certainly could be just like no one saw TikTok coming. Um, somebody coming in. Um, there's a there is one app I'm thinking of in particular. I haven't used it, but I've heard a lot about it called Call In. Um, that the, I think the the killer feature that it has, and why I think it's more valuable than Clubhouse. Um, I mean, potentially more valuable. I haven't used I haven't used Call In just to be clear, but they they allow you to host the same types of conversations as Clubhouse but then they let you export that conversation as a podcast. Um, and I think that is one of the things that Clubhouse is missing is like, it's just, I, you know, I guess there's value in just the, the ephemeral conversation. Um, but I think that people who are serious about audio marketing 
want to kind of repurpose those conversations into something more. So anyways, like I said, 80, 80 on that scale. Um, I definitely, I definitely don't see clubhouse making it. Um, but I still leave room, uh, for somebody else coming in and, and kind of claiming that space or at least a significant amount of it. That would be an interesting, that would sort of your TikTok example might be relevant because I see my prediction is all platforms will integrate an audio component to varying levels of success, but there will be an audio component. So I think Twitter's already rolling out spaces. Haven't tried it. Mm-hmm. Um, LinkedIn's funny. I was in a clubhouse today that nobody showed up to and someone went over to LinkedIn to try to promote it. I'm like, well, isn't that telling you something <laughs> that yeah, the people right. are on LinkedIn, they're not on clubhouse. So if LinkedIn, let's say they acquired clubhouse and integrated it right into the platform, I, like you said, I can see that working. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see, cause I'm on the same mind as you that maybe either somebody acquires clubhouse or they everyone just does it just as well as they do so it goes away and there's no distinguishing feature and then somebody comes along like clubhouse 2 which would be the tiktok version to vine right i don't see a huge difference between what vine couldn't survive on and what tiktok thrives in um and they come in and just but the whole thing this whole idea of a audio component is really interesting because it seems like at least for now the future's pretty bright for it but haven't we just reinvented the conference call? Like, aren't we just yeah. back to being on a, conf- a party line? Um, so yeah. to, to your point though, the, whoever can integrate it seamlessly into either their own platform, like I said, for LinkedIn, and you can just hop on a quick clubhouse whenever you're on LinkedIn and you know who's live. Or I like the sort of one touch push to podcasting because then that creates that sort of seamless uh, channel there. Uh, I did notice Clubhouse is now allowing you to record and replay. So you oh, there, okay. Yeah. See, I'm a, I've, I've, uh, I'm behind yeah. the, behind the uh, curve here. But it's not a, it's not a podcast integration, so it's okay. a little bit different, right? Okay. So you'd have yeah. to go on to Clubhouse and hit the replay, and mm-hmm. so, anyways, it's, it's like all emerging technologies. I think it's kind of clunky and disjointed right now, but I do say, I'll say a year from now, it's going to be pretty well organized, and there will be a winner or winners, and I think Clubhouse will be the loser, honestly. Yeah. Well, we know we know one thing we know for sure is that you know, as judged by like LinkedIn stories, for example, even if uh, even if the big boys uh, in the in the industry like layer on a feature um, and, and they already have a huge user base, it doesn't mean it'll work, right? It's got to yeah. be the right thing. It's got to be done well, executed well. So, are you suggesting that stories don't fit on LinkedIn? Well, they're they've already talked about they're phasing them out. So, oh, are they? Yeah, yeah, I agree. yeah. I don't think they ever fit. And now mm-hmm. Facebook's got all sorts of things. Now they're trying to ram down our throats like reels and stuff yep. like that. It's like you don't have to be everything to all people. Exactly. Anyways, yeah. Off course yeah. here. Give us your yeah. last one, and then we'll wrap up our hundredth anniversary episode. All right. I wanted to ask this one just because it's I think it's timely because you just came out with uh, your new book, Do Less, Sell More. And we're going to talk about that in an upcoming episode in more detail. But um, here's here's an old, uh, you know, canard. I'm I'm, I'm coloring the response here by saying that. But an old, I guess, um, cliche, which is book. The book is the ultimate calling card. And I'm wondering whether you agree that that's still the case or not. Hmm. Um, interesting. So I do have thoughts and I'm trying to figure out what is appropriate to, um, publicly state. I, I would say in some ways, yeah. So let's say throw a number at it. It's not a hundred. I think it's 70. Um, I do think going back to the fact that, you know, the content, the quality of content just online has gone down as more people jump in. I think anyone can write a book 
maybe that's overstating things. So the book has to actually be good. Um, the interesting thing, though, is that I got more. Hmm, how do I want to put this? I got more traction announcing that the book was out in other ways than I did selling books. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, so yeah. I, the book came out and people are buying it. Great. It's like, I'm not ready to retire on that yeah. for, by any stretch. Yeah. But what's interesting is the event of that coming out for whatever reason, triggered a bunch of inbound. Hey, this is great. Hey, can we have lunch? I want to talk to you about our marketing, or maybe you mm-hmm. could do this for me. They haven't mm-hmm. read the book. They don't care about the book, but for some reason, just the, the notion of having the book out led to that. So maybe it's some kind of calling card. I don't know if it's the ultimate calling card, but mm, 70. Yeah. It was yeah. fun to do. And as a writer, you know, I mean, you're pumping books out left and right. Like it's just cathartic to get those ideas out into the world. And for no other reason, that's why I did it. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I know. I agree. Here's my take is I agree with you in the sense that it doesn't have, you know, it doesn't have the the meaning or the impact on on someone. It's not as impressive as it used to be, I think, because of the reason that it's much easier to publish a book now, self-publishing. And there's nothing to diminish. Uh, three of my four books are self-published. Um, and I think that's great. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. It, there is more, I guess, low quality out there now. So that's probably part of what, what the reason is. Um, and, and people generally know, but I don't think anyone gets any bonus points for saying like, Oh, penguin published my book. Everyone's like, who, I don't care who, <laughs> who, who opens a book jacket and looks for the publisher. Right. right. It's like the worst, those are the worst brands in the world. They don't, there's no cachet to them whatsoever. Um, but I, I think the real value uh, why it's still valuable to to write a book and publish a book is is really the the process of think deep thinking and and concentration that it requires. Um, I think you know this this has been something very like um, top of mind for me right now is that I feel like to an extent you know I need to get back to kind of that practice of deep work and less time on social media and like just less kind of bouncing from thing to thing. Um, and, and a book can help like anchor that that's always been the case for me. I, I didn't, I didn't work on books during normal working hours, but that time spent kind of in deep focus, like to start the day where I'd spend an hour writing a book that had a positive dividend all day long. I felt like, um, so I, you know, again, I don't know if a book is going to like help you bring in clients necessarily, but to the extent that you are someone who maybe is feeling scattered and distracted, like that process of that's required to actually get a book done, the discipline, the focus, the, um, the willpower, all the organizational ability is all going to have, can have a positive impact on whatever work you're doing. And so that, that's kind of what spurred me to ask you that question. Yeah, but I do think there is some um, incremental um, payoff that does resonate with the potential audience. They they yeah. know that you spent that time and that mm-hmm. focus, and yep. you have obviously clear ideas on a topic. They might never read the book. They might never buy the book, but they say, okay, well, he's thought deeply on this topic, and yep. maybe that's enough for me to trust him. Just, you know, and then if they buy it, great, and they read it, and that, that's just, you know, further, you know, earning their trust and and there's nothing wrong with that. So yeah, yeah. no, that's right. I agree. That That's right. There is, there is still that, there is still that value for sure. But yep. in any event. Okay, cool. Well, that wraps up a hundred episodes of the thought leadership project podcast. 
Awesome. Well, I mean, I'm I'm willing to go for another hundred if our audience. <laughs> I guess it doesn't matter if our audience has us. We can just keep publishing these one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, so tune in to see if we do uh, 101. All right. Yeah. Does we will guess? do that. Yeah. Yep. All right, Tom. Well, congrats to you, and it's been fun. Here come the confetti and balloons. Yeah. All right. Maybe you can add some of these sound effects then uh, as we as we go to editing here. Okay. Sounds good. All right. All right. All right see everybody. you next time. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.